0: Hi everyone, Pete here. Now all this week we are showcasing some of the very best football content from across the stack network. All this season, Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy has tackled loads of wider issues in the game, including social media abuse, the treatment of referees and the policing of football fans. Melissa also gets unrivaled insight from some of football's biggest names like Mauricio Pochettino, Gary Lineker and Roberto Martinez. Today we've got a really important episode from back in April. It's all about the immense difficulties faced by women in football from sexual and verbal harassment to constant questioning of their abilities and just not feeling safe when working. Melissa is joined by loads of amazing women from around football to open up about their experiences and to try and push for change. You can listen to loads more cracking episodes from Melissa's first season at Stack by searching Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy in your podcast app.
4: Stupid fucking slut. If you can't handle the internet, fuck off, whore. Online misogyny is a global gender rights tragedy and it is imperative that it ends it's exhausting it's
1: it's harmful it's tiring it's frustrating i receive death threats on pretty much all the social
5: media platforms um,
6: a couple times a week it's not just twitter that's sharing the love i sometimes receive facebook messages like this genuine one from earlier this year Lady, you are a nasty, disgusting, despicable pig, and chances are that karma makes you suffer dearly for your unfairness. Better get that mammogram early.
7: Hey, Nat. Hey, Mal. How's it going? Good, I suppose, or as good as can be in the current circumstances yourself. Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Yeah, I'm enjoying more more sunlight since the clocks have gone forward,
5: Um, so that's been good. Um, i I read your article the other day and and wow it it really hit me hard um talking about all of the sort of awful uncomfortable issues that you've had to deal with um, working as a female journalist how did it how did it
7: come about how did you come about writing that? That's a multifaceted answer because I didn't know whether I wanted to write it I didn't know how to write it I just knew it was very important to do so so I kind of had to bury my own feelings my own insecurities about writing it my own hang-ups in terms of not flagging the fact that I'm female um, not wanting to be the center of attention all those things that you try to avoid as a journalist because I knew that what I had to say was more significant than any of those personal feelings. On Thursday, the 11th of March, I was scrolling through Twitter in the evening, as I would usually do, but this experience was vastly different. Women around the country, and by extension around the globe, were sharing their daily struggles with feeling safe. The routines had become as normal as breathing, to protect ourselves from men. There was story after story of sexual harassment, of verbal abuse, of every kind of unacceptable action we have to endure. Reading these accounts was triggering. As I sat there, things I'd buried so deep that I'd worked so hard to forget about bubbled to the surface. The majority of them surrounded my experiences as a woman working in football. My safety being routinely compromised, feeling like my body is public property, being fair game for social media morons that have wished rape on me. The most potent memories were from covering the 2016 League Cup final, where one man interrupted my pre match video piece with a kiss on the cheek, laughing, have a bit of that. Post match, Another asked me if I'd like to see a firework and proceeded to whip out his penis and piss on himself. I laughed that off then. That's what I had to do, what we had to do. I didn't want to do that anymore, to quietly accept the unacceptable. The following morning, I spoke with my editor. I really didn't want to be the story, to become part of the national conversation, But I knew this wasn't about me. It was imperative to shine a spotlight on these experiences to force change. If figuring out whether I actually wanted to write the piece was daunting, pulling it together and then publishing it was overwhelming. Everything is out there then. You can't take it back. The reaction to the article, where floods of women broke their silence and responded with their own horrid experiences made me realise we need to amplify these voices to flag the extent of the unhelpful and often dangerous issues we face. So, hear us roar on this episode of Between the Lines with Soccer Saturday's Bianca Westwood and a stream of personal stories from other female reporters and fans. No more silence, no more feeling like we don't belong in football. Bianca, I think the point we should start at is i watched your vox pop video that you shared and the discomfort that you go through i can actually tell by watching those scenes that you didn't know yourself how to deal with the situation and i want to peel it back and start at the fact that vox pops are a very uncomfortable thing for a female to do because firstly you have to have your hair and makeup done for it you have to look presentable for the camera and oftentimes you're doing it in front of a group of of men who sometimes misconstrue the fact that you're you know looking quite nice and they think it's for them whereas it's for your job, yeah, absolutely.
6: Um, well, I, I I never enjoyed doing vox pops right from the very beginning. I don't think many reporters do, especially in football, because you're going into a, an environment that's very tribal. There's alcohol involved, um, but as a woman, there is that there is that different side to it. There is that you know sexual connotation that sexual charge when men are together and they've all had a drink and they see what they perceive to be a pretty woman in front of them and of course yeah they do they do take it to a different level at that time you know I grew up going to football I've got five brothers I'm not a wallflower I'm not shy or, or, or anything like that and You know, I can take a joke, I'm not easily offended, but there is a line. And even though it was sort of 10 years ago, that line shouldn't have been crossed even then. But what struck me, because I hadn't actually looked at that video for a long time, but I just remembered it when I read your piece. What struck me was that there wasn't one person there who, apart from my cameraman, who asked me if I was okay afterwards, who thought that that was wrong they kind of, everyone laughed it off and I didn't laugh. I I pointed to the guy in his face and I said, no, do not touch me. But I was really kind of, my adrenaline was going and I I was actually quite upset by it because I didn't know what he was planning to, I didn't know what he was trying to do at that stage. It was only when I looked back, I realized he was trying to lift me up onto his shoulders, but he was a stranger to me. And um, it really shook me up. And there were a lot of fans around that day. And um, there were a lot of fans who did cross the line a lot, you know, putting their arms around me, touching my hair, things like that, singing very crude songs, which I'd heard a million times before at football. But when it's thousands of men directing it just at you, it is really intimidating, and I, I did not enjoy that experience one bit, but when I got back to work, I didn't complain about it at all because I wouldn't get picked to go on the next trip if I did. Um, if I didn't want to do Vox Pops, I, have, I had complained about it before and said I really don't want to do – I don't mind doing pre-match, but after the game, especially in a night game, I, I don't really like doing it, but it was like the – the intimation was basically look this is this is the job if if this is what you want to do if you want to do the job then that's you know you've got to you've got to do it no no complaints just get on with it and and so i did That was just a one moment caught on camera. That wasn't, that's not the only um, event that's happened to me like that. I've walked through crowds before um, and fans have manhandled me, groped me kind of sort of from nowhere, you know, like, so if you turn around, you can't, you can't see who it is um, and things like that. I don't think they. I don't think they even think it through, and or think that it might affect you in 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 that way. But it is. It's the fact that I remember whenever it's happened to me, and the fact that I can't do anything about it because when you turn around and you don't know who it is, um, you to to put it bluntly, you want to give them a slap, but you don't know who it is. They've touched your body, and they and they think it's a joke, um, and you know it. I've never sort of thought to myself, I'm not going to do this job because of that. I've always thought I'm going to, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to continue. Um, I'm going to push back. I'm going to tell people as as far as I can, you know, that my body is my property and not yours. Um, and, And that's the way I've sort of carried on, but it got to a stage where even my own brothers wouldn't want to go, me to go to football with them anymore because they didn't like the way I was treated. If I walked into a pub with my brothers and the, and the men started singing, you know, sorry to be crude, but get your tits out for the lads. They would be absolutely horrified and they'd try and laugh it off as much as kind of I had to back in the day. Now, I, now I, they wouldn't sing that. Be now I would not put up with it. I would either walk out or, or I would tell them to stop. But at the time, it was a different world. It was just, you know, if you want to be a part of football, if you want to be in man's world, then, you know, you're going to have to put up with it. And I did for a really long time. But the culture is changing, fortunately. But it, it has taken a while.
7: Yeah, you say there about laughing it off and... When we say the culture is changing, I mean, there's still quite a bit that I... I actually feel very guilty about when I sit and think about... I hate this word, but the banter that I've been a part of and condoned or whatever. Because you want to fit in so badly, you already know that you're in the minority... You're a woman working in football. It's it's such a big distinguishing factor. You don't want it to stick out any more than it already does. So you sort of try and blend in as much as possible. And actually that's, that's not helpful. And I'm very happy that we are at a point where we now feel we can be more authoritative and not just accept the things that we have. Uh, Is there any other episodes that have happened to you? And even in terms of, you know, being denied opportunities and all that
6: stuff that that you'd like to reference? Um, I guess sort of starting out, I mean, that kind of confidence as well comes with age because obviously I, I couldn't care less now what anyone thinks of me or whether I'm good at my job, what I look like, any of those things but when you're starting out, especially when you're the only woman in a press room, um, it is quite intimidating. You know, you walk in, you can tell that other journalists that, especially the old sort of old fashioned hacks, they're like, what's she doing here? That kind of thing. Um, and when I first started, there was only the, Natalie Perks, Jackie Oatley, Linda O'Brien in the Midlands. There was literally like th- three or four other women. and on the whole circuit. So you you always were on your own in that sense. I mean, there was someone, he's not at Sky anymore, but he was in senior management and he used to call me the Essex girl. And this is in front of the entire newsroom. And, and he used to call me on a regular basis. And not that there's anything wrong with Essex. I don't live far away from there, but I'm A, I'm not from there. And B, it wasn't exactly used as like a term of endearment. It was, I found it degrading. You know, it was, he was kind of intimating that I was stupid, maybe because of my accent, my voice. Um, I'm from the East End, you know, but it did, it really knocked my confidence. It made me really aware and self-conscious of the way I was speaking, but I didn't want to change it. Um You know, football is supposed to be a working class game at its core. I wanted to be myself, first of all, but I also wanted to be representative in that way, not just about being a woman, but about being someone who can come from any background um, and have a career without sort of having to have had some sort of privileged upbringing or anything like that. You know, I may talk like I do, I may have an Essex or an East London twang, whatever you want to call it. But I am educated. I've got a degree. I'm not stupid, but calling me the Essex girl really used to piss me off. Um, But I didn't want to change it. I could have had elocution lessons. Lots of reporters and presenters have, but I just felt that representation really matters. And I wanted to represent my background. Um, And that's why I didn't change it. And, but that was the kind of, um, culture that existed in, in the game back then. Um, and, but I really do, I have to stress that Sky are really trying to promote and foster diversity, not just in race and sex, but social mobility and all kinds of, you know, people with disabilities, um, you know, LGBTQ people, anyone and everyone has an opportunity now at Sky. And I think that is so important
7: it is hugely, hugely important because we have to be representative. Um, But the Essex girl comment has, has made me think, did you have any sort of guidance or direction in terms of how you were dressing, how you were supposed to carry yourselves? Because that's another element that females deal with that our male counterparts just never have to worry about, you know, being told what they should or shouldn't wear and how to have their makeup done, how to have their hair, how to put themselves across on social media. Um, did, did you encounter any of those kind of things? Uh,
6: yes. I, I mean, when I first started doing the match reporting, obviously, and as I explained, I was completely sort of shot. My confidence was gone. I didn't know, and I was being told quite regularly I wasn't very nice looking, or whatever. My teeth, some a few people had a thing about my teeth weren't good enough, or whatever it was. I can't remember. But I was sort of taken to one side um, by a female member of staff. Again, not there anymore. Um, and she said, "Oh Bianca, I think I, I need to tell you. You know, when it comes to makeup, darling." Less is more. And I just thought, oh, you know, I didn't have a, a makeup artist doing my makeup. I was just kind of <laughs> doing the best that I could to try to look good on screen. And I would get told constantly, no, don't do your hair like that. Have your hair, tie your hair back. No, you can't have your hair down. If it's windy, obviously I would tie it back. But I kind of, a few times I would say, well, are you telling Dickie this? you know you're telling dicky that he's tops you know not nice enough or not you know he shouldn't be wearing that or and of course male presenters aren't told these things but as a female you are you do have to be more aware but i just wanted to be myself I, I, but it was really it was a really difficult time because i didn't i wanted to make the best of myself so i was probably i probably was putting a bit too much makeup on But it wasn't a helpful comment, if you know what I mean.
7: After speaking to Bianca, I phoned Natalie, our assistant producer on Between the Lines, to talk about all the things that were mentioned to see how she felt about it as a fellow woman in football. Wow, that was uh, that
5: was quite shocking to hear everything that Bianca sort of had to say there. Um, I mean, it's empowering and, and important and that, Mel. But uh, what do you what do you think of all of that? I mean, just the instances in which she's she's been compromised and and sort of had like her personal space invaded and that in the Vox Pop. Um, it's it's so it's so scary because you hear stories like this all the time. But um, it, yeah, just it makes it all so real. It does
7: make it feel so real and it actually reminds you of how much that being compromised is a daily battle when you're a woman in this industry because it sort of colors every conversation uh, and every action you know the banter you've got to deal with or got to be part of so you can feel like you're one of the boys I often feel so guilty about the things I've said or or been a part of in in that respect in in terms of the banter because it's not it's just encouraging a culture that's unhelpful to women but because you don't want to to stand out and because you don't want to make it obvious that you know you're the odd one out you go with it and then in terms of your body being public property, it's not just with Vox Pops. It's every time you do a piece to camera, every time you're in studio, every time you're doing any bit of, of work that shows off your body or where you're, you're on screen so people are, are, are looking at you, and they feel that they have ownership to, to comment on, to, if you are filming outside, to touch, to, uh, they're privy to your your personal space. They're allowed it because you're seen as, as a public figure now. And, you know, your looks, having that constantly in the spotlight where people can say, and and this is one of the, the things that, that always happen, no matter what you're talking about, you could be going on about mental health issues or some really significant, important topics that we need to contend with, and you'll get comments like, 10 out of 10 would smash. Oh, I definitely hit that. Annoying voice, but I would. Like... No matter what your content is, you you get compromised and reduced to the point of your looks become everything that that matter to to a section.
4: Hi, this is Julia Stewart. I'm a presenter at Supersport International and a contributor to Premier League TV. While doing Vox Pops in a sold out stadium, I was groped as soon as we went live, only to be told afterwards, this is part of the job, it's normal. Another incident involved a coach and pre-match interviews. I had to ask him, after a couple of uncomfortable minutes, to please keep his eyes on my face and to stop looking down my top. Again, the men around me said, that was expected, pretty normal behavior. With all of the stories the last few weeks from women working in football, working in rugby, cricket, sports, all different sporting codes um, and in all different locations, it has made me realize that our experiences, regardless of sporting code and regardless of location, our experiences are far too familiar.
5: How do you have the courage to to go back into the same job every day um, knowing that, I mean, the football industry and the sports media industry is is massively sort of gender exclusive, male dominant. And I feel like um, sort of like your male counterparts and, and colleagues that you have at work don't have to deal with the same sort of, um, you know, like rules about, about what to wear to work or, or how to have their hair done in the morning or what sort of makeup to wear. Um, you have sort of all of that, you know, there they're just sort of like thrown into the job and they can come in looking however sort of thing but you've really got to like dress it up and and follow all these strict rules and then be faced with all of this this criticism both you know both through vox pops and and interviews you're doing in person and then when you go home and and log in online and you have it all on social media as well like how do
7: you come into work every day and and deal with that you have to have a really thick skin and it's unfortunate that you have to but you just do, you've got to sort of block off things. None of my male colleagues have ever been told, don't be distracting. Sometimes they're simple things, like when we have a Zoom scheduled for the early morning, my male colleagues can, you know, roll out of bed, uncombed hair, just sit there and no one cares what they're wearing, the state of their hair, what their face looks like. Whereas I know I have got mm. to be spot on. I've got to have my hair done. I've got to have makeup on. Because people will zone in on that with me. It it will be decisive in terms of judging me, not anyone else. It's the same when you've got to go for an interview. Or if you're doing a round table with players. Like how you present yourself as a female is... It is a thing. It has always been a thing. And I think it will always be a thing. You just have to get it right. And as Bianca and I were discussing, you never get it right. People will tell you too much makeup, too little makeup. Um, You're wearing, you're looking too frumpy in those clothes. You're wearing too much. Ooh, you're wearing too little. There's too much leg showing. It's just very tiring. It's so exhausting, Mm. but like I said, unfortunately, it becomes such a part of the job and so much of what you deal with that you just become better equipped to handle it absolutely and yet off of off of the back of all of that off of everything
5: that that goes on sort of within the workplace you've got all of these these harassers and um and abusers who who seem to think that that seeing you with makeup on or just a put-together appearance means that they you know that it's it's almost just there for them or that they can comment on it or like supposedly compliment you like both you and bianca were saying they seem to think that um you know seeing you do these vox swaps just because you're you're made up or you you've brushed your hair and like other you know men doing it they they think they can come up to you and invade your personal space and and throw you compliments as if um as if that's going to make your day and make you smile or whatever um when realistically as you've just said it's yeah. almost just part so...
7: of your job
2: hi my name's Jo, joe and i've been watching football for more than 25 years now i've experienced a lot of both verbal and physical abuse as a woman at football here are some of the main things that i've encountered The worst one was probably leaving an away ground with another woman a few years back. Some men started trying to talk to us and quickly realised, even though we weren't wearing scarves or shirts, that we were away fans. They then started abusing us verbally, calling us brummy slags or bitches. We started walking quicker, as you do, and eventually started running, at which point they chased us. We were lucky enough to encounter a group of away fans and walked with them back to our cars, but it was very frightening. I've also been pressed up against by an obviously aroused male in the crush to get to the toilets at half-time and accidentally, on purpose, felt up, both breasts and bottom, whilst moving through the crowds in the concourse. When I turned to react, the the group of men just laughed. They obviously knew what was going on. Most recently, I reported some racist comments uh, to a, a steward, and as the men were escorted away, I was told in no uncertain terms I would get it the next match, you bitch. Fortunately for me, the club responded by seating security next to me at the next match. I'm very relieved that they took it seriously, even though the men did not reappear, thankfully. And that's just some of what I've experienced as a woman at the football, although it won't stop me going. My name is Louise Borden and I'm the senior
3: video journalist for Stats Perform News. Um, I've worked in the industry for almost 10 years and in that time I've been a a video journalist for my entire career. I've worked at many major tournaments, at football grounds up and down the country and and all over the world and there are some experiences that really um, stick in my mind um, where the behaviour towards me as a female female journalist I feel maybe wouldn't have happened um, if i had been... Male journalist. 2018, there were many um, instances in Russia where, as a female working in that country, I I felt uncomfortable. One of the tasks I had to do was um, go and speak to fans after the games and and get their reaction and and get um, you know their opinion. I was um, at the stadium um, for the Poland Senegal match and and uh, Poland lost to Senegal two one. And as a result, a lot of the fans afterwards, a lot of the Polish fans, weren't um, very happy. Um, We were filming fans as they were coming out of the stadium, both fans from Senegal and the Polish fans. But on that occasion, um, as two gentlemen were coming out of the stadium, they felt it necessary to try and displace the camera from my hands. and And they did that by... Um, throwing two punches. This was unexpected, um, and obviously, luckily, I, I managed to keep hold of the ca- camera and I managed to dodge the, uh, dodge the punches. But again, another experience where, um, within my role, I was um, subjected to some physical aggression. Um, the semi-final, um, Croatia against England another landmark moment for me in my career, a World Cup semi-final, an amazing experience, um, although, again, tainted um, by some of the things that happened before and after the game. Before the game, I was required to do a piece to camera um, for our uh, bulletin show, and as I did my piece to camera, I had several groups of men come up to me, two of which um, kissed me on um, on the cheek, And then uh, one actually groped my bum. So, again, there were many other journalists out doing pieces to camera outside the Luzhniki Stadium, um, lots of which were male, obviously, um, but were not subjected to um, an encroachment in their personal space, as I was that day. Um, I was with a male colleague, and we laughed about it and brushed it off, but I just remember thinking if that had been him and I'd have been behind the camera, the same thing wouldn't have happened. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
1: Hey, oi, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old mucker, Venus. We're back together, son. How are you?
6: Hey, bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't
1: got any players, we haven't got any kids. We haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium.
6: Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. It was very difficult as a reporter. I would see my male counterparts. Um, getting their first a lot earlier than me. Their first live game, their first OB, being able to interview the you know the top names, um, doing press conferences and post match interviews and things. Where I, I was kind of like the the fluffy. I was out allowed to do those vox popsy features and you know the fun type you know uh, interviews and things like that. I was never really considered a serious journalist in that sense, even though I always knew they didn't know more about football than I did. I knew that for a fact because I've been going since I was a child and football is in my blood. Um, And it was kind of seeing everyone else progress a lot earlier than I did. It took me 10 years really before I was trusted to do those kinds of things. I saw male reporters able to foster Relationships, friendships, connections with players and managers, whereas I didn't feel like I could do that because if I'm, you know, asking for numbers, it just it didn't feel right, or they would then message me inappropriate things. Um, it, it was a, it was a kind of that was the culture, whereas they'd like slide in my DMs and things like that. So that was really tough because I knew other reporters would have a whole host of contacts in their phone that they could call up and get an interview or a sound bite or but I feel like I felt like I couldn't do that and if I did I'd feel really uncomfortable asking for someone's number because I knew it would not all the time don't get me wrong but a lot of the time it would go down a route that I obviously didn't want to go down
7: this this is something I don't think people realize and I can completely understand you on that because probably the biggest part of this job is networking you need to be able to get information and you get information by cultivating relationships and it is very difficult to do that balance as a female and I actually remember Uh, being in a mix zone and the guys were trying to get a player to stop and he just wouldn't and they had perceived that i've got you know a a good kind of relationship with this player Uh, had interviewed him a lot before and they said why don't you just message him and and please ask him to do this we really need this and i was like i don't have his phone number i don't have many players if any players phone number and they were staggered they couldn't understand how I'm doing the job I am and how I've gotten so many interviews and stuff without being able to text and when I said it's not the same for me to ask for a number it it then I could see it you know hitting them why that would be the case and I have to say that there have been instances and I'm sure you will be able to relate where players have chased up your number whether it's from press offices or however they've managed to get it and you know they want to be flirty they want to say things to you that shouldn't be allowed because they think that you need them so you have to put up with that behavior
6: oh yeah I mean I've had players say to me well I'll do the interview but only if we can go out for a drink afterwards or I'll I'll take you to lunch one day and it's like do you do this to Jeff Shreves and I don't think so so it's it does make life really uncomfortable and there would be also, another thing about having friendships with players or managers, and some are, if you can, some are genuine friendships. I hear rumours about myself or about some of my female colleagues, about them sleeping with this player or that player, which I knew to be completely untrue. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having relationships in, in, in sport with players or with managers, what whatever that is, but it would be... You know, they would just. The assumption would be, if you're friendly, close to a player, seen out with, had a drink with, been out clubbing with, even, you must be sleeping with him.
7: Yes, and if you've managed to secure exclusives or breaking news or anything to that regard, it's only happened exactly because you're a woman and because you're having those sort of dalliances. It's it's a very it's a very unfair sort of thing because on the one hand you can be boxed in like you said because of aesthetics so they think okay you're just the the face and we don't want you to do hard-hitting stuff on the other side when you do get any hard-hitting stuff it's ah she's only managed to do it because she's she's shagging someone and 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 this is not This is a constant struggle. You don't get away from it. It doesn't matter whether you've been doing the job for 10 years, 12 years, 20 years. It doesn't matter how many managers you've interviewed, how much respect and how much good work you've put out. You will still have people undercutting you on the basis of being a female. You often compared to other women. It's never just Bianca... Uh, I think you're as good as this male colleague, or I think you're as bad as this male colleague. You're always held up against other women. And like you said, when Michelle was introduced into Soccer Saturday, it was the whole, uh uh-uh, another female's coming in to do your job. We're constantly trained to be in competition with each other, which is a very unhelpful... When we do our jobs, we are so conscious that we have to be 10 out of 10. We have to get it right because if we stumble, it's not just I'm making a mistake. It's uh, this is why women shouldn't be allowed in football.
6: That's exactly it. Yeah. If I get something wrong in a a report, it's because I'm a woman, not just because I'm a human being and humans make mistakes when a goal goes in. You can't see who it is.
7: I think one of the things that gives me such joy at the moment is how many women we have in so many different facets. I mean, written press is still completely lacking in that regard, but on TV, on radio, it's just a more inclusive
6: place now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look at, I get a lot of young women writing to me, you know, saying how that I've sort of inspired them um, and how they really enjoy watching me work and, and they want to do the same things and asking me about my pathway, which is probably completely different to how they will sort of succeed in their chosen sphere. Um, but I do tend to look at it as well with a, a tiny hint of envy. I feel like even though I've managed to do good things in um, in, in my chosen field, I would like to have had the opportunity to do it now where women are kind of more, you know, it's acceptable to to see women around and uh, you know, it's not quite so, such a novelty. Um, You're taken far more seriously than I ever was when I first started. Um, I I just, I, I kind of sometimes wistfully look at it and think, oh. You know, I see these women doing so well and, you know, all power to them. And I'm so pleased and so happy. There's, you know, not a competitive bone in my body when it comes to that. I really enjoy seeing women broadcasting, reporting, writing, um, whatever it may be. I just think sometimes oh, if I started now, I wonder wonder if I'd have been able to do more earlier, you know, because obviously I'm a lot older than... uh, a lot of the female journo's coming through, and um, and I've really enjoyed my career. But it would have been nice to have maybe given those opportunities a little bit earlier um, in my in my journey, especially on social media. I mean, fortunately, I'm, I think I'm too old now <laughs> for any players, so that doesn't come into it. So it's quite a relief. I'm like I'm too I'm old enough to be his mum, so can we not go there? <laughs>
1: Hi, my name is Alexis Nunez and I'm a presenter reporter at ESPN and working as a woman in football comes with a lot of challenges, you know, challenges that have to be fought every single day. And for me, one of the most infuriating challenges is the expectation that we as women somehow, are always attracted to every footballer and that we use some powers of seduction to advance in our careers. And I mean this in the sense that sometimes when I'm trying to get an interview, I've had my very own colleagues, people that I worked with in the past, people that I'm still working with now, tell me things that, you know, instead of messaging an agent or a club for access first, why don't I just slide in a player's DMs on Instagram because they'll notice more. Or I've been told to, you know, bat an eyelash and message a target first because I, as a woman, am more likely to smooth it over. And even this last week, I was conducting an interview over Instagram Live with a very well-known cricketer, and whenever we would laugh or smile or obviously looked like we were just having a good chat, so many of the comments coming in were saying, oh, she's flirting. Oh, she definitely wants him. I bet they're sleeping together. That's, you know, how she got it instead of looking at it like, oh, well done. She was just able to get the best out of him in this chat. Because for some reason, still to so many people, women are good enough to be your mothers, raise your children, be your teachers, your doctors, your lawyers, but can still only be seen as some sort of eye candy or even bait in sports. And, you know, that's a challenge that is a constant struggle for me. And it's a challenge that I pray that we're able to overcome sooner than later.
5: People don't realise how much women have to work twice as hard within your industry, um, you know, just to, to get these contacts, like you were saying, and, and just to ensure that you're, like, communicating and going about things in the right way to to avoid having, like, rumours and, um, and assumptions made about you
7: sort of flirting with players or managers. Um. I've been married off to to Sadio Mane based off a post interview and award presentation picture. So yes, even when you're not asking for phone numbers, even when you're getting a picture for your company to show them that you've handed over the award and you've done the interview, you can be married off. So that <laughs> that's the, the kind of situation we're dealing with. And, you know, the Mane example... I still get people on my social Mm. media and stuff commenting about it. They believe it. Like One person put it on a video, then it spread to blogs in West Africa, then it got picked up in the UK. There was a tabloid editor who called me who wanted to run it in their entertainment pages that this relationship was real. And the only reason it didn't run is because I said I would very, very happily sue because it's a complete fabrication. They've obviously got no information or no source. They're going off what these blogs and what a YouTube video um, surmised based off off of a work picture.
6: I was convinced to go on uh, Twitter when I started doing Take It Like a Fan with Fenners, which was a really fun show. Um, and again, I was kind of the sidekick. I wasn't really like the main, Fenners was the main host or whatever, but I didn't mind that. Um, it was like the hostess, that sort of type, but it was it was fun. I didn't mind doing it. It was good for my profile and it was something a little bit different from Soccer Saturday because at that point I still wasn't reporting um, as like I was doing still just features reporting. My questions weren't used I wasn't allowed to voice pieces at that point, really. Um, So it was literally just the answers to my questions that you would see on the features, but that was just the way it was at that time. So, But then after Take It Like a Fan, uh, I was then told that I was going to start match reporting. And my experience with social media up until that point was fine. It was all very sort of complimentary. Um, But when I started doing the the match reporting on Soccer Saturday, the first female to do so, blah, blah, blah. I really wasn't prepared for the onslaught of abuse and vitriol that I received. Um, I mean, I I thought about this, like, when I knew I was going to be speaking to you, and it kind of makes me really emotional because... at that time, I felt very, very alone. Um, I wanted to do the job. I knew I could do the job. I knew football. What I hadn't done before was any broadcasting, no live reporting, anything like that. I'd done some post-match interviews and things, but it was a very new experience. And it's not like reading an autocue in a studio with your hair and makeup done. It's Watching the football match, as any fan knows, you never know what's coming up next. You don't necessarily see everything. You know, there can be a scramble. You might not see the final touch. You might not know who scored. There's just so many variables to a football match, but that's what makes it so exciting. But when I first started doing it, um, I I was completely unwelcome from viewers. I'd say probably 80% of viewers. Female as well. Um, told me I shouldn't be doing it, what was I doing there? I was ugly, I was old, I looked like a dog. Who did I shag to get this role? Where had I appeared from? I wasn't as pretty or as good as this female presented that one. I'm just there to tick boxes. If I got a name wrong, well, it would be horrific. If I stuttered, I'd be called a moron. They said I didn't know anything about football, but it wasn't really that. I just, I didn't know how to report at that time. they drove me in and I was petrified because I didn't want to get anything wrong. I knew the heart, the focus was going to be on me. And you do make mistakes. Merce gets names wrong. Cammy's got things wrong, but that's funny. When I did it, and I didn't do it a lot because I've looked back on my, my first reports and they weren't actually that bad but when I did it, there was just so much anger from people. I I really couldn't understand it. And so I would, my anxiety was at an all time high. I couldn't sleep before a match, which invariably made my performance worse. Um, I didn't know how, my nerves were kind of shot to pieces and it was a vicious cycle because the more abuse I got, the worse I'd get and I wasn't getting any, any support from anyone. It was like, well, come off Twitter then. And uh, they took me off live reporting for a while, actually, but that was against my wishes, really, because I thought then, well, I'll never get better if I don't sort of continue. Um but there were genuine fans out there who did support me. And who said I was doing a good job. And I I believe I was doing a good job. I just wasn't completely relaxed. Um, And in a moment of desperation, I, I contacted Troy Townsend at Kick It Out because there was a guy on Twitter who was spearheading a real hate campaign. I mean, he had women fathers of daughters. I could never understand, like, you know, encouraging them to message me and tell me how shit I was. Um, And I said to Troy, I really can't take this anymore because I don't want to stop doing this job because I really believe that I can do it. But it's relentless with this guy, this who's created this account. Um, And Troy, my saviour, went to Twitter and got this guy banned. And then slowly but surely, my confidence returned, and I, I, I kind of got better and better at, at it. And it really annoyed me when when fans just said I didn't know about football because I did and I do. And it, it was just something that I was really uh, live reporting was is such a skill. That, and at the time, there was no no replays, so if something happened and you missed it, you'd have to kind of get around it somehow. Um, so. It is a skill that you have to learn and develop, and it takes takes time. And I think it did take me a little bit of time. And when Michelle came in, people would be messaging me saying, oh, she's after your job and stuff like that. What they didn't realize was I felt such a huge relief that I wasn't the only one anymore. I was so pleased when Michelle came in, and she's great, and she's got a different style to me, as Cammy has, as Johnny, Phillips, as Dickie, we're all kind of different in our own way, but that's what makes Soccer Saturday, Soccer Saturday. And, I, you know, I, as soon as she came in, I was like, you know, I'm here if you need anything. And I'm sure she went through her own things with social media. Um, but now it's completely different. I'm seen as, you know, one of the better reporters on Soccer Saturday with a lot of people who respect me. But when I see new um, females coming on Soccer Saturday, whether it being on the panel or reporting, I see what they go through. And I think they used to say that about me. And now apparently I'm brilliant. Now, apparently I'm, I'm the best one, but they said exactly the same to me. So just stick it out, carry on. And eventually when they're used to your face and used to your voice, they'll go away
7: you said a few really interesting things there and you know earlier on you said you're not a wallflower but no matter how strong you are when you have people persistently attacking you and attacking you in the harshest of ways not disagreeing with your opinion on something but being quite personal and you know going for looks or um attacking your knowledge base it it does affect you it does impact you no matter how you try and switch it off and it can be quite debilitating like you said there it was affecting your sleep which in turn was affecting your performance and it always strikes me how when you do get hate and you click on on the twitter profile because you mentioned it as well it's a father of daughters. And you're thinking, what is going through your head? Do you want your daughters to be subjected to this from men when they grow up? It, it just
6: absolutely boggles the mind. I know. And really, I mean, I used to occasionally confront these people and say, you've got a daughter there. How would you feel if some random 50 year old guy contacted your daughter and told her she was useless or ugly or, and they haven't really got anything to say about that. Then sometimes they'd apologize. Um, Sometimes they'd just double down and and be even more abusive, but I could never really understand that um, mindset when you've, you're raising females here. Do you not want them to enjoy the same, you know, luxuries, um, as you have in life, you know, the luxury of just being able to be without someone sort of telling you you're useless or you're just there for sex. Um, and as I say, they never really had a comeback from that, but you know, now it's, it's a lot different for me. I very rarely get abuse. And if I do, I really don't care. I really honestly don't care. And if I could instill that in every young girl that it means nothing, I would. But unfortunately, you only get to that point after a, a barrage of abuse. <laughs> yeah, no, I know
7: completely what you're saying. I also don't care, but you have to learn... To go through that process on your own. Yeah. And it's quite unfortunate that we have mm. to teach ourselves how to have a thick skin. Without your journey, probably people like me don't have my journey. So thank you mm. for being <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> for being a trailblazer and for going through all that you went through and being strong and sticking with it. Because it's not easy as much as you love football and as much as you're passionate about it when you are being sliced down so regularly it is difficult to to persevere but you did it and yes thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us and here's to us not just
6: tolerating what we absolutely shouldn't anymore no absolutely thanks for having me on and you know I'm I'm really happy to to be saying all this for the next generation coming through as you say but the best thing about all this now is I'm not alone in, anymore um, and people coming through young women coming through you know they're gonna have other women around them to 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 champion them and to to help them sort of grow and succeed in this business because it's not easy it's still not going to be easy um, but you know we've we've now got, Sort of a lot more people around and not, not more women around to uh, help us, which will only make us stronger.
0: A long time ago, when there weren't very many women in the industry, a player came up to me in a mix zone, did the interview with me and no-one else, and someone in the background went, "'Bloody woman.'" Hi, I'm Carrie Brown. I'm the chair of the Football Writers Association. I went up to them and I screamed at them. What did you just say? Actually, the reason I got that is because the the agent of that player had promised me an interview couldn't fulfil it and they said if you're in the mix zone on that day, he'll come and speak to you then. That journalist has become one of my greatest supporters um i went that one day it was a manager that wasn't very happy about me very uh powerful manager um i was very upset i called him he said right um when are you free this is a guy in a very powerful job he met me straight after work we had dinner and drinks together and he told me if you're not unpopular every week you are not doing your job right kind of move into tunnel reporting job now so it's a bit different <laughs> try not to be unpopular uh, can be sometimes but yeah challenge them he's become my biggest advocate and I remember watching him one day saying do not mess with Carrie she's terrifying um, keep going, kick ass
7: this is what I've always wanted to do this is what I was born to do this is what I've sacrificed so much to do. I've had to leave my family, my friends, my country, my comfort to move and to completely change my life in order to have what is my dream job. I am very good at it. I've worked supremely hard at it. And people within the industry respect me, give me opportunities give me great feedback on stuff i've done i've got managers who want to sit and talk tactics with me who ask me my opinion on stuff sometimes players who seek advice from me agents who want their players to do stuff with me because i i bring out their personalities and that human side so well so those are the things that i hold on to people that want to abuse that want to undercut that want to hurt and that want to hate me that's all their business yes it's it's not nice to deal with yes sometimes it can be very overbearing and it it just makes you feel like oh what is the point but I remember all the things that I've achieved. I remember how far I come. I think about how proud my family are of me, how proud my friends are of me. I think about all the great stuff I've managed to do. I mean, this job has taken me places I would have never ordinarily visited. It has given me a great life and I don't want people listening in to think, it's like oh this is the worst thing ever being a female in football it's it's not that i i love this game i love my job i'm so passionate about it i love telling stories to to the listeners to readers to painting pictures for them to helping educate them i just want i suppose some understanding of what we go through and and help in in changing it in making it a better environment because you know your your daughters your sisters the the loved ones that you have in your life the women they might be going into other male dominated fields maybe not sport related but but other ones and, and you don't want them to feel these kind of things so we can all work together to just make it a more inclusive, a more encouraging and and a nicer space. I suppose that is is the aim. And just for people to remember that, I, I know a lot of times there are guys who think you do a really good job but don't say it or or don't leave a review or, you know, don't provide feedback. And the, the ones who want to be loud, who want to abuse it, to be abusive, they are the ones that always, they always want to leave an unkind review. So sometimes if you enjoy something, if, if you like something that you've read or if you've liked a podcast or... It does help to actually provide that positive feedback because it does help shut off the noise of those who just want to scream.
6: Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy is a Stack
4: production and part of the ACAST Creative Network.
6: Give them a gift they'll never forget, because they'll still have it years later. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades, because a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. So be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code GRATEFULAG23.
1: Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum.